Hello and welcome to This Shit Really Happened, the true crime podcast where we deep dive into the most disturbing, depraved, and downright gruesome true crimes in history. My name is Em. And I'm Autumn. And we are your hosts. And we're back. For another Again. episode. Again. <laughs> took us a little longer this time, too, but yeah, we're eh, back. Well, shit was, nah, shit was happening. We were busy. Oh, I feel baby. like, honestly, at this point, y'all just shouldn't expect it on a regular There's basis. There's no regular recording schedule that we're ever going to adhere to. <laughs> so, so just never expect it. Yeah, you you get these when you get these. Expect I mean, the, the one unexpected. thing we are really consistent about is recording on Saturdays. Yeah. So, like, the episode I'll usually drop on, like, a Sunday. Uh, when was the last? Did I post last episode on Sunday? Or did, do, did I post it after we recorded it i can't remember either way they usually drop on a like a saturday if we record like early or saturday or sunday saturday or sunday so at least we're consistent in one aspect of this anything (laughs) else no sorry (laughs) sorry you're not gonna get anything the same from us ever maybe if we made some money off this we would have some (laughs) but this is just our side hobby at the moment like this is just a hobby at this point so literally Which, rolling into that, we still have that coffee thing. Oh, yeah. it's The link is in the Instagram bio. We've got a whole bunch of new Instagram followers lately. So, so oh, yeah, thank you for following the Instagram. Hello. We love to see you. <laughs> um, we're almost at 800 followers now. It's wild. Oh, actually, let me go check on there and see if we got any more. We love it. We, are, we literally just hit 700 at the beginning of the month, and now we're, like, already at almost 800. <laughs> wild. We love that. But, yeah, follow the Instagram at TSRH Podcast. I feel like I'm dyslexic. Dyslexic. I came. I'm just done talking. You're not even. You're not going to hear my voice for the rest of this podcast because I can't talk to you. When you can't. When you're trying to say you're dyslexic, but you can't even pronounce. I'm dyslexic. Stop dyslexic. Oh, oh, that's a struggle. (laughs) I was going to say. I'm tired. I need a nap. It's the morning, but it's almost two o'clock. I was up early. I was up at like eight. Yeah, I am now woken up every morning by Ralph screaming mm. and just being generally stinky and doing generally Ooh, stinky boy things. This morning. Rude. Great. Rude. I said blue shot. Blue uh, shot. Uh, it was like, like five nah. o'clock in the morning. I'm like, like, don't you even start. It's too damn early for this. Go to fuck to sleep. I go <laughs> fuck to sleep. Yeah, Ralph has been like especially terrible in the mornings lately. Like Same he. With blue. Has just been like, like all up in your head, just screaming, absolutely screaming, and I'm like, dude, and we can't even like, it wouldn't even help to like lock him out of the room because he'll stick his paws on the door and start like scratching at the door and like meow from outside the door, so he's still making all this fucking noise, but it's like. Should I have him make the noise outside the door, or do I want him standing on my head and screaming in my face? <laughs> <laughs> What's the better option? Which, which one should we do? Which one am I going to be able to ignore more actively? <laughs> <laughs> um, unrelated, but last night, well, we, so Emily and I went to go see the Barbie movie last Hell night. Yeah. 10 out of 10, Barbie highly recommend. Um, but we went to the drive-ins. If you guys don't know what the drive-ins are... I would hope you would know what a drive-in is. I Even hope if you've you never been to one. <laughs> but if you don't know, it's just a drive-in movie, movie theater. Yep. You park your car. You watch it on this big-ass screen. Hell yeah. Plays with another movie. You're usually there till like 2 or 3 in the morning. Yup. And there's a big concession stand. You know, like back in the good old days. We love that. Um, But we went to the drive-ins. My back hurts. <laughs> My back is sore. <laughs> today. 
I woke up really like, what just it. happened we to should have got an air mattress like those other girls had. They had the right idea. Like, I'm not 10 anymore. I can't do that. I'm not. I know. I know. Yeah, never. I never really. I can't say I guess never feel my age, but never have I felt my age more than trying to lay just in the back of my car with the seats down on the hard My hip was like going numb. <laughs> Literally starting to lay on my side. My hip is like, nope, can't do that. Lay try on to my lay back. on your back. Your back's like, nope, you can't do that. You try to sit up. It's like, nope, this is not comfortable. Either. Your back is going to hurt this way too. Seriously. So lesser of the evils here. Definitely needed. An air mattress on there. No, seriously. Maybe next time. I have it. I have an air mattress, so <laughs> we, we should be those people next time. Or honestly, just like get chairs and like sit outside of the car and just yeah, like some camping blankets. chairs, the yeah. foldable ones. Yeah, I was thinking that that would be the move. But I don't own any of those, so me neither. Too bad, so sad that wasn't an option for us. But yeah, go see the Barbie movie if you mm-hmm. haven't. It was super good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I it really was very want good. that. Fluffy Rainbow, I am Knuff. I know, and it's fucking sold out already. I know, I signed up for the email <laughs> alert and it's back in stock. I mean, it's it's 60 bucks, but like... Oof. I know. Oof. I know. I want it, though. I need, like, Shein or something to make a knockoff of it. <laughs> they will. They will eventually. <laughs> Please. I'm, there'll be I'll a, just wait for bi- that. There'll be, a, like, a Barbie X Shein collab. Literally. So, yes. Or, I like, a Barbie it. X Fashion Nova collab. Something like that. There, right now, is, like, a Barbie X Fashion Nova club, but mostly it's just, like, swimsuits and shit. Uh, yeah, it's just it's nothing too exciting. I need the fuzzy rainbow hoodie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Gosling was so good at that movie. Seriously. He's such a good man. Michael Robbie did very good as Barbie, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, she was fantastic. I had no doubts in my mind that with those two as the leads, it was going to be so good. That was very good. Yeah. I just love that, like... Will Ferrell was cracking Will Ferrell was, yeah, the Mattel CEO. He was cracking I love Will Ferrell. He's fantastic in anything. I don't think Will Ferrell has ever been in a bad movie. No. Anything he's in is golden. Oh, Ruth. Love her. We love her. That was such a good movie. Yeah. Was. Anyways, go see Barbie. <laughs> yeah, go see Barbie and also listen to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram and donate to the coffee thing and only leave us five star reviews. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like okay, that was like our checklist of <laughs> yeah. things to go through before we start. So, um, the case we're doing today is uh, something a little bit different than we've done before as it, I mean, not different because there's still lots of murder and lots of things to talk about, but we're talking about a cult. Today. In specifics, a Barbie cult. <laughs> not actually <laughs> wouldn't that be funny <laughs> there was literally the barbie cult murder i'm sure there is honestly maybe i'll like google that and see if there was ever something like I'm revolving around right barbie like how there was like the slender man murders and <laughs> shit maybe somebody murdered in the name of barbie barbie even though the slender man murder wasn't actually a murder because the girl survived <laughs> but they still these, like, two, like, 12-year-old girls try to stab their other 12-year-old friend to death because they thought by stabbing this girl to death, it was going to, like, I, yeah. yeah, they were going to, like, go meet Slenderman. I'm like, what the fuck? People are crazy. If you have children, monitor what they're doing on the internet because then you have kids who think they're going to meet Slenderman by murdering their the other Ken friend. The Ken and Barbie killers. Oh, I know about that. Yeah, that doesn't actually have to do anything with Barbie. It's just because they were, quote-unquote, good-looking yeah, they're blonde. Yeah, so they call them the Ken. But that case is fucked up. We can do that one. Yeah. I wonder, I can't remember if that one's on my list. That's um, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. 
That yes. one's been done a lot, though, and I try to stray away from, like, super I haven't heard of it. popular cases, but, yeah, well, maybe we'll do it. Maybe if I run out of, when my list is finally tapped out, I'll circle back around and I'll start doing, like, There's some more well-known ones. There's a called The Barbie Murders. Oh, a book? Interesting. Interesting. I wonder if it's based on a true story. Maybe. Well, yeah, everything else is about Ken and yeah, I've, uh, Ken I I should have suspected if you were searching for Barbie murders that it was it was going to come up with that case because that's probably one of the most famous cases revolving around anything to do with witness the recalls name Barbie. night Instagram model bad Barbie murdered beloved California doctor. Oh shit! <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Jesus. That one must have gone sideways very fast. They probably botched her BBL, so she got revenge. A cult of zealots is painting the second ring of Saturn red and on Earth they're reading John Riley's The Barbie Murders. What? <laughs> That's what funny. The fuck even? That is funny. Oh, man. Anyways. Anywho. This is not a Barbie cult. <laughs> but it is a cult. So. It is a cult. So um, this case takes place in the late 80s, early 90s. Um both in Texas and in Mexico. So, like, a Texas border town and then a town just over the border into Mexico. So, you know, where all that sketchy shit happens right on the Mexican border. Yeah, and it was during spring break, too. So, yeah. spring break. Spring break. Who the fuck wants to go to spring break for, like, in Texas? People from Texas. No, they don't. <laughs> well, technically, they were spring breaking in Mexico, but they're from Texas. Go. So they would, like, go over, like, you know how we can, like, walk over the border to get to Niagara Falls? Mm-hmm. They could walk over the border to get to Mexico. I'm not sure I would do that if I live there. Well, Doesn't seem very safe. <laughs> well, we'll come to find that perhaps it was not. Because when, when I was in California, mm-hmm. um, in Southern California... We drove near, we didn't drive to the Mexican border, but mm-hmm. we drove near it, and you could tell the closer and closer you got, the sketchier everything looked. Yikes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll come to find that, obviously, anywhere there's always risks, but something about going, crossing into a foreign country, and just getting wasted with 15,000 other, it just seems a little sketchy. I probably would not do that. But then again, I don't even know if I'd want to do that. Well, I probably would have when I was in college. I would have done some dumb shit like that. I but now, breaked hard as fuck in yeah, college. Now I'm with a little more life experience and retrospection. <laughs> I'm like, that's probably not a good idea. I'm like, me. Mm, probably wouldn't walk over to Mexico and get. But they said that you could get like a like a beer for like a dollar and like drinks for like two bucks. What? And, that's yeah, and this like Mex- like they're in the town. I think it's it's called uh, Matamoros, uh-huh. and so it was like a hot spot for like all these like college students who were going to school at universities near the border would always cross over and go drink in this and it was like a tourist town it had Mm. like bars and restaurants so it was like it's like clifton hill exactly exactly Mm. so it was like known as a spring break Mm. location but this was also when this happened during a time where there was like rampant like drug cartel activity in the area too uh late 80s it was like 80 the one we're gonna start with the case we're going to start with happens in 1989. Okay, so late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, late 80s, early 90s, just about. So Sounds about right. So, sounds about right. So before we actually get into talking about the cult, we have to talk about the murder that leads to the discovery of this cult. 
Right. And a this, cult a cult murder. A cult murder. Woo! So this is the disappearance and subsequent murder of Mark Kilroy that we're going to start talking about. So Mark James Kilroy was born on March 5th, 1968 in Chicago, Illinois. His parents were James Kilroy, who was a chemical engineer, and Helen Kilroy, who was a volunteer paramedic. They moved to Texas from the Midwest after Mark was born. And so Mark grew up in Santa Fe, Texas, um, in a small town outside of Houston uh, for over 15 years, along with his uh, younger brother, Keith Richard Kilroy. He was raised as a Catholic, and his parents were frequent attendees at their church. Um, They went to church like any other usual Southern Texas family. They were going to church every Sunday. Mark excelled in both academics and athletics as a teenager, and he played baseball, basketball, and golf with his friends at school. He was in the Boy Scouts, and he was an honor student at his high school, where he was a member of the student council and was ranked 14th in a class of 210 students. Pretty smart guy. Um, Upon his graduation in 1986, he attended Southwest Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, before transferring to Tarleton State University in Stephenville, Texas, where he was going on a basketball scholarship. Um, At Tarleton, he became a member of the Lambda Chi Alpha Fraternity. Um, He then decided to give up his athletics and transferred to the University of Texas at Austin to become a pre-med student and prepare for his um, the MCAT, the Medical College Admissions Test. So, essentially, he was, like, quintessential all-American guy. I think, pretty sure he had, like, I can't remember if he had, like, blonde hair, but he was, like, tall, decent-looking, like, you think of, like, all-American. He's pre-med, wants to go to Literally, pre-med, going to med school. Super super smart. Super smart, from a decently well-off family, attending church every Sunday. He's very much what you think if you're thinking. he didn't have a D1 scholarship at that point. I don't know if he was on a basketball scholarship when he was in t- attending uh, Tarleton State, but then the he left there. to go to uh, University of Texas at Austin. You said for Charleston. Tarleton. T A R L E T O N. Tarleton State University. And so he was on a basketball scholarship. And he played basketball all through high school, I believe. Um, but then he decided to leave because he wanted to go to med school. Which, that's kind of like a power move. Like, yeah, I could go full ride on basketball, but, like, I want to be a doctor. So I'm going to go to med school. <laughs> like, all right, dude. You do you. Are you finding anything? I'm just trying to vamp in the microphone for a minute. I'm just trying to fill this side. They're Division one. They are? Okay, mm-hmm. so, yeah, he was on a D1 basketball mm-hmm. scholarship. So, literally... Mm-hmm. The quintessential all-American boy. Um, His friends even described... It was so funny. Like They described him as an above-average kind of guy. Ralph is yelling at you. Well, that's just what Ralph does. So, we're going to ignore him. (laughs) He needs to learn that yelling is not going to get him what he wants. Even though it does. (laughs) Even though it definitely does. That's probably why he started yelling more. Because he's like, I have found that this works. And I get what I want when I scream. Literally. How you should. Boots. <laughs> oh my god yeah the only thing about you know skirt sidebar the only thing about going to the drive-in is um you're gonna get bit by fucking bugs literally one bit me on my neck <laughs> <laughs> vampire bug so mark was in 1989 that would have put mark in his third year of college so he was what was junior. that junior yeah 
So on his junior year in 1989, um, specifically March 10th, 1989, Mark's childhood friend Bradley Moore, um, he finished up his own exams. He was also attending Texas A&M University, and then he headed to Austin to go pick Mark up because they were going to go down to Santa Fe to pick up two other friends, Bill Huddleston and Brad Martin, before heading down to South Padre Island, Texas for spring break. Spring break. Spring break. Let's go get drunk. Let's go get drunk. Yeah. (laughs) So after a nine-hour drive into South Texas, they arrived at South Padre Island shortly before midnight. They checked in at the Sheraton Hotels and Resorts the next morning and then decided they were going to go head down to the beach. Have a beach day. Because it's beach. spring break. Nick Minaj, don't come for us. Don't copyright strike this. Um... When the guys first arrived at South Padre Island, there were few people because it was very early in what was like this like five-week spring break season, Um, but thousands of students were starting to come down to South Padre as the weekend progressed. So busy. There were a lot of fucking people there. There were like beer sponsors. They had a whole bunch of like um, beach events. There were free movies, concerts. You know, you could like, because this was the 80s so there were no cell phones you could like they were offering like free access to like phones to like make phone calls home there was like a surf simulator and there were even like opportunities that you could appear on a tv commercial for like these beer sponsors um there was also this event that i'll talk a little bit like not super in depth but i'll bring it up now because i'm talking about all the thing it was like the miss tan line contest they called it so it was literally like girls like women would just come up and like who had like the best tan who's got the best tan lines and so they would have like a daily miss tan line contest too crazy yeah, so um, Mark and his friend Bradley Moore, they had both made phone calls home to their parents the same day they arrived, probably just to say, hey, we're here. We got here. All well and good. Um, later that same evening, they met a group of female students from Purdue University and party with them until the next morning. The next day, Mark and his friends went back to the beach where they stayed until lunchtime, and then after lunch, they went to go watch the Daily Miss Tan Line competition. Of course they fucking did, those whores. <laughs> Men. And it was literally held, like, right behind where their hotel was, so they're like, we're so there. Fucking <laughs> men. Fucking men. Uh, and then after the Miss Tan Line competition, Mark went back to the hotel room because he was going to take a nap because him and his friends had plans to travel into Mexico that night to go party a little bit more. So he's like... I gotta take a nap before we go crazy. They left South Padre Island, um, and they stopped at a Sonic drive-in for food on their way to Port Hmm. Isabel, Texas, which is where they were going to be leaving, I believe, leaving their car or somewhere and then walking over the border. Sonic is pretty good. We we love a Sonic. We love a Sonic. (laughs) They also met another group of female students from the University of Kansas who were also planning on going over the border into Mexico to party that same night. So they grouped together with those women. Um... And they followed the guys from Port Isabel to Brownsville. And Brownsville is actually where they parked their cars um, close to the Gateway International Bridge before they were able to cross from the U.S. into Mexico by just walking over the bridge. Uh, Mark's friends and the women from Kansas University, they spend most of their evening at a bar called Sergeant Pepper. (laughs) And this was a bar in Matamoros. And then after um, they were done at Sergeant Pepper's, they... 
went their separate ways. And then Mark and his friends actually were able to go back over the border this night with no problem. They went back to South Padre Island early the next morning. Um, and again, on the next day, the 13th of March now, Mark and his friends once again <laughs> watched the Miss Tanline contest. Because <laughs> um, they're like, shit, we can't miss a single day of these tan lines. Mm-mm. We can't do it. No. <laughs> Got to see the women. Gotta see the women. I mean, you got like men. young twenty-year-old men, and yeah. you're just basically college boys. women up on a silver platter for them to ogle. They're at <laughs> right. Let me see your tan lines. Let me, Let see. me see your tan lines. As they like wiping their <laughs> yeah, right? off their face. No, they're like frothing at the mouth. Let me see your tan lines. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, Distracted instantly. Literally. You said tan lines where? You said tan lines where? It's like with like fucking dogs. Squirrel. Literally. Tan line. Uh, a side so. boob. <laughs> a butt cheek. That's the butt cheek. <laughs> yeah. That really gets on. Yup. <laughs> Booty cheeks. <laughs> oh, so early in the evening on the same day, Mark met with one of his former frat brother, brothers, brothers, brothers. Uh, brothers. Brothers. So he met with one of his former frat brothers. Not the, not the only dyslexic one. I know, right? Um, and he met him at a condo party that was happening um, on South Padre Island. And at around 10.30 that same night, Mark and his friends headed back to Matamoros. They again parked on the border and crossed over into Mexico on foot. That night, Matamoros was just absolutely flooded with like spring break tours. There were over 15,000 Taurus in Matamoros alone. And there was this one big main street in Matamoros where like all the restaurants and bars were. So that shit was packed. Think like like Bourbon Street on like Mardi Gras. Like that shit was packed, packed. Um so when they first got into Matamoros, Mark and his friends decided that they would go to the bar that had the shortest line to get in. Because they're like, fuck it, we're not waiting. Mm-hmm. We don't care if it's shit. Like, we just want to go and get our drinks and we'll be good. Mm-hmm. So they ended up at a bar that was called Los Sombreros. And they stayed there for a little while. They had a couple drinks. And then after a couple drinks, they ended up leaving and going to another bar called the London Pub. Which had actually, like, for the purpose of spring break, and to be a little bit more, like, American-friendly. It was, like, temporarily rebranded into a hard rock cafe. Because oh, they're like, what do Americans like? Like, hard rock. Hard rock cafe. Them bitches are everywhere. Yeah. So this bar was a little bit busier. It was a little bit louder, more rowdy than Los Sombreros had been. And Mark ended up parting away from his friends to go talk to a few women that were also inside this bar. Around 2 a.m., Bill Huddleston started rounding up his group. He was like the dad friend. He's like, all right, I got to get all my fucking friends so he can go home. So he started rounding all of them up. And as they left the London pub, they actually saw Mark, like, outside leading against a car, speaking to a woman that they recognized from one of the Miss Tanline competitions. Um, because of the huge amount of tourists in Matamoros that night, when Mark and his friends were walking back across the border, they actually ended up getting separated from each other. Bradley Moore and Brent Martin ended up sticking together while Mark was, um, so Mark basically, like, they grabbed him. He's like, all right, just let me say goodbye to this person I'm talking to. Bradley Moore and Brent Martin kind of go on and then Mark meets up with Bill Huddleston and they start kind of walking together. Um, As they were walking, they were kind of getting close to meeting up with the other two where they were going to start walking over the border. Um, Bill made a pit stop into an alley because he's like, I got to go pee. I'm going to pee in this alley really quick. 
Um, And as he, like, left Mark to go pee, Bill recalled that he noticed a Mexican man, like, motioning in their direction, like, waving at them. Um, Bill then heard the man speak to Mark, recalling, quote, I thought maybe it was someone Mark might have known. I heard him say something like, didn't I just see you somewhere or where did I last see you? So Bill goes down this alley. He does his business. And when he comes back out of the alley, when he was done, he doesn't see Mark, but he figures that Mark just kept walking to meet up with Bradley and Brent. But when Bill gets to them, Mark's not with them. His friends immediately are like, shit, we fucking lost Mark. (laughs) So they start like kind of backtracking and trying to look for him. But mind you, it's it's still quite busy. But they were on the street looking for him to like 430 in the morning, even after all the bars had closed down and there they still could not find him. They're like, we're the fuck is Mark? Mark, Mark, where are you? So essentially what they end up doing is crossing back over the border because they think that Mark might have just like gotten separated and decided to just, right, keep Mm -hmm. going, like, and they were hoping that they'd find him waiting with the car. Um, They got back to the car and Mark was not there. So they're thinking, okay, maybe he caught a ride home with somebody. So they're trying to think best case scenario at this point. Um, so they thought maybe he like, maybe he went home with that girl he was talking to, whatever. They're trying to, again, think best case scenario for this. So they end up just piling in the car. They go back to their hotel. Um, when they woke up the next morning and Mark still hadn't shown up, that's when they get concerned and they finally call the police to report Mark missing. Mm -hmm. Bill Huddleston recalled, quote, when we woke up the next morning and we still hadn't heard from him, that's when we knew something was wrong. So they're like, shit. We really done lost Mark. <laughs> so <laughs> they call the police. They report him missing. And at first, the search for Mark started out as a very typical missing persons case. Um, students were often reported missing in Matamoros, only to turn up the next day with like a gnarly hangover and like no memory of the night before. <laughs> just, like drunk somewhere. Literally, exactly. So at first, police were thinking that that he just got drunk somewhere that he was going to turn up because. They probably saw it a hundred times over with people Literally. just getting with your dollar beers. You know, people are going to get absolutely fucking 20 wasted. 20 bucks. I can get hammered. Literally. Exactly. So it probably was not very rare at all to see. Yeah. Like, people just wake up on the phone. They're like, where the fuck are like, you? are in Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> right. Imagine that. You're getting drunk and you end up you in Mexico. You are like... You're just what like, the where fuck? the fuck am I going? Where am I? Literally, that'd be terrifying. I wake up. Um, what? Do you I'm just like walk back over the border like you an hear action? the music in the background? <laughs> yeah. Some maracas. Some, like, yeah, some like Spanish like pop music. You're like, I'm, I'm not, I don't know where I am. And somebody tries giving you tequila, you're like, <laughs> somebody like pours tequila in your mouth to wake you up. They're like, get up, hombre. Wake up. <laughs> Gringo. <laughs> wake it up. Wake up. Dude, that would fucking Go suck. home. Go right, get out of our country. Go home. And just having to walk over the border and, like, face the border like, agents looking like a fucking hot creature. Dude, yeah, could you imagine how sunburned you would get if you just, like, passed out somewhere? Fuck that noise. Those border agents probably saw so much shit. They probably <laughs> still see so much shit. Probably. Hey, if any of you know border or work... Patrols. Yeah, or, like, if any of you work at a border where people, by town where people go to get drunk... You got some stories. Tell us some stories. I'm oh. sure the Canadian ones aren't as fun. 
I mean, if you have enough people... Because they're slightly more tame. Yeah, but still, drunk people are wild. If you got 19 yeah, little kids... Yeah, a Mexican go, drug cartel? Mm, slightly more wild. Yeah, but I don't... Yeah, I don't know how often they're trying to walk over the border. <laughs> right, but I'm just saying that they've probably seen some shit. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm, like actual, they, like, border you, Because patrol. you have to get the drugs through the border. Yeah. I feel like the people who actually, like, patrol the border probably see a whole lot more than the people who are just sitting at the bridge. <laughs> where are you going? Where are you going? Are you bringing anything that you have to declare? What the fuck are you doing in Mexico? <laughs> what are you doing in Mexico? Why are you, why, why are you coming why back? Why are you leaving? <laughs> what is your citizenship? <laughs> um, so, the police, of course, were working on the assumption that Mark just got way too drunk that night and that he'd turn up. But it did become clear pretty soon after a few days were going by and Mark was not showing up that this case was not just a regular, you got too drunk and, you know, didn't show up to your hotel for a day. Yeah. Authorities on both sides of the Rio Grande immediately suspected foul play. So this is authorities in Texas and authorities in Mexico. But unfortunately, the police were very short on leads. They had like Bill Huddleston's recollection of like the Mexican man trying to talk to Mark. Mm -hmm. But there was that was like nothing to go off. There were thousands and thousands of people in the town the night that he went missing. Right. Donald Wells, the U.S. consul in Matamoros, was contacted um, in a description, he was given a description of Mark Kilroy so that it could be circulated in jails and hospitals to see maybe he, he got, got arrested. Yeah, maybe he got arrested. Maybe he's sobering up in the drunk tank or maybe like something happened. He got injured in some way and he was in the hospital. Mm. Two days later, investigators actually called in a hypnotist in the hopes of turning up some clues. So under hypnosis, Bradley Moore told police that he had last seen Mark talking to a young Hispanic man with a cut on his face. Meanwhile, Mark's parents, uh, James and Helen, they flew from Santa Fe down to Brownsville to help lead the search for Mark. Over the next few weeks, the Kilroys mounted a determined campaign to find Mark. They circulated over 20,000 leaflets through the Rio Grande Valley, offering a $15,000 reward for any information concerning Mark's whereabouts. The Kilroys also met with representatives of several key Texas uh, Oh, representatives of several key Texas officials, so not the officials directly, but the representatives, um, including Attorney General Jim Maddox, Governor William Clements, and Senator Lloyd Benson. So they're trying to get some powerful people to like, help us find our son. Help. Please help us find our son. Help me. On Sunday, March 26th, Mark Kilroy's case was featured on um, America's Most Wanted. I used to love that show. Me I watch this shit all the time. It used to low-key creep me out. Yeah, no, seriously. Especially if there was ever, like, local cases. Yeah, I, was like, I was like, what the fuck? I'm, like, locked in my room. Did Bucky Phillips ever yeah. appear on America's he Most did. Wanted? Was he on that show? It. Yeah. Oh, Bucky Phillips. You're not from Western New York if you don't remember Bucky Phillips. Good old Bucky Phillips. That was a crazy story. Speaking of prison runaways, that one guy got caught. What guy? The one from Pennsylvania. He, like, made his way up to here. Um... There's, like, a south town that he made it to, and he, like, killed the couple in their house. Oh, shit. His Why haven't shit I heard was, about like, this? on his way up here. Oh, that's crazy. Damn, well. But he got caught. I'm glad they don't caught him. So, after the case appeared on America's Most Wanted, uh, they had a huge amount of, like, telephone calls, offering tips, letters coming and offering tips about Mark's disappearance, but unfortunately, none of them led to any actual useful leads or clues. Right. The Kilroys ended up having to return back to their home in Santa Fe, but refused to give up searching for Mark. 
Helen Kilroy would later tell reporters, quote, it was very hard for us to come back because we wanted Mark to be with us, but the police promised us that they wouldn't lessen the intensity of their investigation. Which that must suck having to like leave. I'm like, well, we still haven't found our kid, but we have to hope that the police are gonna keep searching and you mm-hmm. know so there's like so many times too like missing person cases where like eventually the police just like give up give up they stop looking and then i could not imagine being a parent in that situation where yeah. like the police give up right literally they're like yeah we we got nothing like mm-hmm. at this point we're chasing ghosts we have mm-hmm. no leads but yeah to have to deal with that as a parent and have the police tell you we have no leads we're trying to find your kid so yeah, the Kilroys were really holding out hope that the police were still going to be intensely searching for Mark, even if they couldn't be right within the search with them. So the break in Mark's case ultimately resulted from a completely unrelated effort that had nothing to do with his disappearance. A few days before the Kilroys had flown home, the United States and Mexico actually announced the implementation of a massive drug sting program along the border. This anti-drug operation included 1,200 agents, a dozen helicopters, and 30 airplanes, and it was described by one official as, quote, possibly the largest of its kind. In early April, some three weeks after Mark Kilroy had vanished from the streets of Matamoros, 22-year-old Serafin Hernandez-Garcia, who was a resident of Matamoros, was arrested for running a routine police roadblock and possessing marijuana. So there was a roadblock, and he's like, I'm going to walk through it. But he had a fuck ton of weed on him. (laughs) So he gets arrested. They take him into questioning immediately. And under questioning, Hernandez Garcia identified several drug dealers and revealed that his family actually owned a small ranch about 20 miles west of Matamoros. On April 11th, Hernandez Garcia was taken in handcuffs to the Santa Elena Ranch. This is the ranch that his family owned. The area had long been known by the police as a favorite staging area for a ring of marijuana smugglers and was owned by a known gangster who was also Serafin's uncle, Elio Hernandez Rivera. Thus, it was really no surprise when the police, who were read by uh, Comandante Juan Benitez Ayala of the Mexican Federal Police Force, found 75 pounds of marijuana on the property. They're like, shit, you guys are drug muling. So finding the marijuana was not a shock because they this ranch was on their radar already as a pretty popular drug muling location. Um, what happened next, though, that was what shocked the fuck out of them. (laughs) Here comes the wild shit. So in what had become a routine procedure since he had gone missing, the police actually ended up showing a photo of Mark to one of the ranch caretakers and asked the caretaker if he had seen him. And the caretaker told the police he had seen Mark Kilroy and pointed to a corral in a shack that was about 400 yards away. As police approached this shack, they were hit with the unmistakable stench of decaying flesh. Oh, man. And what they ended up finding was buried in shallow graves was the remains of what they would come to discover were 12 different men. Nice. Mark Kilroy included. Mark's grave itself was marked by a piece of wire sticking out from the ground And the wire had also been attached to his spinal column, 
so that when Mark's body had decayed enough, the wire could be used to pull his spine out so his vertebrae could be turned into necklaces. Let's we'll just let that sink in for a minute. They put it down his fucking spinal column so they could rip his spine out of his body when his body was decayed enough. Um, In addition to that, Mark's legs had also been cut off at the knees. Um, It was later asked if this was part of, like, the ritual sacrifices this cult was doing. Spoiler Mm. alert. Um, And one of the cult members is like, no, we just cut his legs off because it was it made him easier to bury. Um, Some of the other victims found had been slashed with knives. Others had been shot. At least one had been burned. Another hanged. Many had been savagely disfigured. Their hearts ripped out. Their ears, eyes, and testicles removed. And one had even been decapitated. Eventually, three more bodies would be found in that same area, bringing the total count of corpses to 15. Mm. Inside this shack that they found, it had no windows. It was just like... Basically, like, a little shed. No windows, nothing. Um, The police discovered even more, like, gruesome things. So to start, there was blood smeared everywhere inside of this shack. It was on the walls. It was on the floor. And there was a whole bunch of candles stacked up. The candles were still burning. And amid the candles, there was a big iron kettle filled with iron and wooden spikes, a charred human brain, and a roasted turtle. Other urns contain a combination of concealed blood, human hair, and animal parts. Scattered around the room were coconut shells, cigars, and cane liquor, an iron bed frame, heavy electrician's tape, and a blood-caked machete and hammer. So, some shit was going down in this Some shed. wild shit was yeah, happening. This was 110% a murder shed. Yes. Police also discovered a large oil drum that seemed to have been used to boil some of the victims. One witness described the scene as, quote, a human slaughterhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Pretty accurate. Pretty on par. One of the first Americans to arrive at the site was Lieutenant George Gavito of the Cameron County Sheriff's Department, whose jurisdiction included Brownsville, which is that border town. Um. About the scene that was discovered, Gavito recalled, quote, I've been on the force 15 years and there are no words to describe what I saw there. After finding the remains on the ranch, the police were left with one question. Who the fuck was responsible for all of this? It's like, this is a lot of fucking carnage. Um, When Serafin Hernandez Rivera and four other men who'd been arrested were asked who was to blame for the brutal murder of Mark Kilroy, all of the men who were arrested told them the same thing. That Mark had been killed by El Padrino, which is the Godfather, and that Mark's death was part of a ritual uh, was part of a ritual of human sacrifice that the men believed would make them invisible, impervious to bullets, and protect their drug business from the police. They should have tested that bullet theory. Yeah, that's why they think that the the Seraphin Hernandez just walked through the mm. police brigade. He thought he was invisible. And so he just fucking walked through. So when they caught him, he's like... Yeah, he's like, hmm. wait, what the fuck? I'm not invisible? How can you see me? Yeah, he literally, like, thought that he was invisible or would have some sort of, like, magic protection that would make, like, they the police not stop the him. bullet theory, though. Yeah, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Their testimony led to police obtaining warrants for the arrest of five more members of what police were beginning to realize was not just a drug cartel, but a full-blown cult... 
And two of these warrants were for 26-year-old Adolfo de Jesus Costanzo, who was the mastermind and religious leader of the group. That is who they were referring when they said the Godfather. And then also Sarah Eldrete, who was a 24-year-old student at Texas Southmost College in Brownsville, who came to be known as Costanzo's godmother or the witch. So these were like the two leaders of this cult. It was Adolfo Costanzo and Sarah Adrete. So we're going to talk about both of them really quickly. Um, Adolfo de Jesus Costanzo was born November 1st, 1962 in Miami, Florida, to his mother, Delia Aurora Gonzalez, who was a Cuban immigrant. She gave birth to Adolfo when she was 15. She eventually had three more children, all by different fathers. Um, Delia moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico after her first husband died and she remarried in San Juan. Adolfo was baptized Catholic and served as an altar boy, but also accompanied his mother to trips to Haiti to learn about voodoo. (laughs) The family moved back to Miami in 1972, and Adolfo's stepfather died shortly after. He left the family with a decent amount of money, but it wasn't really enough to support them forever. Um, As a teenager, Adolfo became apprenticed to a local sorcerer and began to practice a religion called uh, Palo Mayambe, which involves animal sacrifice. His there's mother, a Criminal Minds episode on that. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a, I feel like there's a Criminal Minds episode on everything. The, but the person was obviously killing people. Yeah. Well, I but mean... But he was using that as a... Well, that's kind yeah. of exactly what Adolfo Costanza yeah. started doing. So his mother soon remarried again, and his new stepfather was involved in both, the relig- in both religion and drug dealing. Adolfo and his mother were arrested numerous times for theft, vandalism, and shoplifting throughout Adolfo's early life. As an adult, Adolfo moved to Mexico City and met the man who met the men who were to become his first followers. This was Martin Quintana and Jorge Montez and Omar Orea. So these are like his first three cult followers, basically. His his go-to men for his human sacrifice rituals. Mm. Um, so they began to run a profitable business casting spells to bring good luck which involved expensive ritual sacrifices of chickens, goats, snakes, zebra, and even lion cubs sometimes. Many of his clients were rich drug dealers and hitmen who enjoyed the violence of Adolfo's quote-unquote magical displays. He also attracted other rich members of Mexican society, including several high-ranking corrupt policemen who introduced him to the city's powerful drug cartels. Costanzo started to raid graveyards for human bones to put in his, um, I think it's pronounced Nanga. It's like a cauldron, basically. Um, And before long, his cult decided that the spirits of the dead that resided in the Nanga would be stronger, thus providing the cult more powerful protection with live human sacrifices instead of old bones. The resulting killings soon totaled more than 20 victims whose mutilated bodies were found in and around Mexico City. These so-called sacrifices escalated until Adolfo eventually decided that the cult needed the power of a brain from an American student, culminating with the murder of Mark Kilroy in 1989. So Adolfo began to believe that his magic, much of which he took from Palo Mayambe, was responsible for the success of the cartels, and he started demanding to become like full business partners with some of the most powerful cartels in Mexico, one of which being um, the Calzada family. And when the Calzadas were basically like, no, fuck you, we're not going to work with you, seven members of the Calzada family disappeared. Their bodies turned up later with missing fingers, toes, ears, brains, and in one case, even their spine missing. 
So we're going back to the spine thing. <laughs> Pulling spines out of people. Spine necklaces. Literally making necklaces out of their vertebrae. But that's a big ass necklace. I know. I don't know if they did like the whole thing or just mm-hmm. like like one or two. I know, but yeah, like a vertebrae is yeah. pretty big. I wonder if they just like strung like a single one on like a string or something and just wore it. Yeah. Or if they made like a whole like like lay just, of spines. Oof. <laughs> like a whole thing, like all around. Lay. Big lay spine necklace. But, yeah, I mean, that just kind of goes to show, like, what kind of power Adolfo Costanzo is getting. Because this is one of, like, the most powerful cartel families in Mexico. And he essentially murdered seven of them and never had anybody, like, be able to retaliate against him. So, and this is continues, like, go to his head that these spells he's casting are working. Because they have this protection. They have this power. So he's, like, first, you know, started with digging up graves. And then he starts with human sacrifices just whoever they can pluck off off the fucking street basically and then it accumulates to now we need a white american student because that's going to be like the ultimate powerful sacrifice um adolfo soon made friends with the new cartel the hernandez brothers and he also recruited sarah aldrete around this time who ended up becoming like the high priestess of the cult Adolfo made Adrate his second in command and directed her to supervise his followers while he was shipping marijuana over the border into the U.S. Um, Sarah Aldrete was actually a physical education major at Texas Southmost, and she was described by one of her professors as, quote, an excellent student, friendly and unfailingly polite. But she's also a cult eater. <laughs> also in a cult and likes murder. Yeah, she's also in a human sacrificing cult. A fellow student also recalled about Sarah, quote, she was the kind of person who always said hi to you. Yeah, she's probably trying to recruit you to her cult. Yeah, fuck she's probably her. trying to get you in her fucking cult. She probably wants you to sacrifice. Honestly, she's trying to, she's trying to. She's just trying to make it easy on herself. Yeah, right? She's trying to make friends with you. She's going, oh my God, you should come to this like ranch and like meet my friends. And then you're dead. Dead. And then you're human sacrificed. See, this is why I don't make new friends. Right? This is, yep. New friends are for dead people. Yeah. So don't unless you want to get murdered, don't make new friends. Don't make new friends. Stick to the people you know. Yep. <laughs> um, the day after the graves were discovered at the Santa Elena Ranch, Aldrete did not show up at school, and a student who worked with her in the physical education office recalled, "Quote: She called and said she wouldn't be coming in anymore. She not said she anymore. had to work out some personal problems. I'm not coming in anymore. Like, I'm bitch, done. Yeah, because they discovered all the bodies that your cult murder. A personal problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're about to go to jail. Literally, that's a fucking understatement." statement oh my god um when news reports identified aldrete as a cult witch the reaction among students and faculty members was one of complete shock it seemed impossible to them that the girl they knew could be involved with an evil cult of human sacrificing drug dealers in the aftermath of the murders though some students did begin to remember things about her that while innocent enough at the time seemed like clues now that Aldrate was not always exactly like that. It, oh, yeah hindsight is always 2020 mm-hmm. you always look back and you're like you know what that was a little sus mm-hmm. that was a little weird um, specifically, they wondered how the daughter of a retired electrician was able to afford a brand new 1989 car with a built-in telephone. Oh, shit. Others recalled that she had a penchant for wearing black, which, I mean, doesn't mean shit, but this is the 80s. It's like yeah. the height of the satanic panic. Um, most significant, perhaps, is a and story. the 80s was also the height of 
bright colors. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, if you're wearing black, what the fuck is wrong with you? Literally. Uh, most significant, perhaps, is a story that was making the rounds that told of a night that Aldrete persuaded three male friends to watch a film called The Believers. And after the movie, these students said, Aldrete stood up and began to preach in strained tones about Satan and the occult. And that wasn't like a hint. I know, right? You breezed <laughs> over that. They're like, yo, we thought she was fucking around. <laughs> I w- I'd be like, yo, bitch, you are crazy. We are yeah, never hanging out again. Right. They're just like, oh my God, Sarah, you're so funny. Stop preaching about the occult. <laughs> no. I'd be like, yeah, this bitch is fucking nuts. Like, right, we well, need to go. Friends. <laughs> yeah, like, um, my mom said I can't be friends with you This friendship is over. My mom said I can't talk I to you. I actually have to transfer Sorry. schools now. Yeah, right? I'd be like, this bitch is going to like come after me. So I need to get the fuck out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. I need to go all the way across fucking I'm the state. I'm going to Alaska you. Welcome <laughs> to Alaska you. Fuck that noise. I'm getting out of here. Um, several times during their interrogation, the cult members actually made references to this movie, The Believers. Um, this movie is a film that came out in 1987. It's a horror film starring Martin Sheen, and it's about a cult in New York that conducts human sacrifices to gain money and power. Um, Elio Hernandez Rivera and the others said that Sarah Eldrete had organized many screenings of the movies and they had watched it many times. So they're basically like, this movie is our Bible. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, they were essentially watching this movie all the time. Because like, oh my god, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to sacrifice humans to get power. Crazy. Right? Um, Just to get power because I'm invisible but not really yeah because i'm invisible but people can see me and bulletproof but not actually but not really but it's not all really. about what you believe though right? yeah right if i believe strong enough shit i fully believe that i'm a billionaire seriously so give me a billion dollars thank you i am rich <laughs> i wish god yeah. i wish it was that easy no oh, if only human sacrifice That's human sacrifice maybe nah um might be pushing it. Yeah, right. Maybe if they that were rich. Might be pushing it. <laughs> if they were rich. <laughs> I'll sacrifice this rich person and just become them. Take over their life. Um, when police later searched Sarah Eldrate's home in Matamoros, where she lived with her parents, they found a makeshift altar of black candles, beaded necklaces, and cigars near a wall that was splattered with blood. So she was doing some weird sacrifice shit in her own in her fucking parents' house. That that's disrespectful. <laughs> that that's is so crazy. fucking rude. Like you're really gonna sacrifice in your parents' house under your parents' that room. One boy though was doing that crazy shit to that girl upstairs. Oh yeah, the parents knew about that shit too yeah. and didn't even say anything because they were too afraid of him because they thought he was part of the yakuza. Yep. And yes, yeah, he was just straight up torturing a girl. She was, they tortured her for like forty days, something crazy, I think, yeah. like that. And they were doing horrible they shit. They were doing so that's that's uh Junko Fruta. If you guys mm-hmm. haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um the things that they found in Aldrate's room, along with other objects discovered in the shack at the ranch, were identified as things that were used in the practice of Santeria and Palomayambe. Both of these are like Santeria is like a Caribbean religion. Both of these do have some sort of like dealings with like animal sacrifice, but neither of them are using tenets of like human sacrifice at least they hadn't for like hundreds of years at this point 
Well, she's like, mm, I'm about to bring that. Yeah, I'm about to bring that shit back. Um, Philip Carlo, who is a New York writer and expert on the occult, um, was certain that Costanza was dedicated to a specific spirit of the Palomayombe cult known as Ogun. I think I'm saying that right. It's O-G-G-U-N. Ogun? Ogun? Don't know. Um, but this was the patron god of criminals and criminal activity. Which, like, the fact that there's a patron god of criminals and criminal activity, there's, like, a I'm god for go everything. I'm going to go ahead and say that's not a good one to follow. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if what these people did was anything to go on, that's probably not a good one to follow. Um, like I said, while both Santeria and Palomayambe can include offerings of animal sacrifice and exhumed human bones, neither religion as commonly practiced involves the killing of humans for sacrificial purposes. Um, Anthony Zavaleta, who is a professor of anthropology and sociology at Texas Southmost, um, according to him, Adolfo Costanzo had turned to the darkest sides of Santeria and Palomayambe for the purposes of attaining magical protection and power, and he believed that performing human sacrifices would grant him the greatest rewards. Like, humans are, like, the top, they're more powerful than animals, so if I want to be powerful, I have to sacrifice humans, the gods will like me more, and they'll give me more power. Right? Sacrifice yourself, motherfucker. Um, so beyond the campus of Texas Southmost, where Sarah Aldrete attended university, graphic media reports of the Santelena killings drew attention to Satanism and the occult. So they were basically, like, this was not just relegated to the town where she was going to school and like Brownsville and Matamoros this was like national news and it was essentially just kicking up more fear about Satanism and practices that were related or thought to be related to the occult throughout the Rio Grande Valley town meetings and university seminars on voodoo and witchcraft drew overfull crowds and attendance at churches skyrocketed Mm -hmm. people were like we gotta protect ourselves from the devil we gotta go to church (laughs) we gotta go to church um, there was even a false rumor that Satanists were planning to kidnap children in retaliation the for the Matamoros bust, and this caused hundreds of Texans to pull their kids out of schools. Um, so, like, Texas Southmost, the thing to know about that is, like, it was attended by a lot of, because it was very close to the border, so a lot of Mexican students, like, mm-hmm. Sarah Aldrate was Mexican, and yeah. she would cross the border to go to Texas Southmost, mm-hmm. so a lot of parents, like, of, like, young kids who are going to school near the border and who are going to university were like, yeah, you gotta get the fuck out of that school because mm-hmm. we're not gonna let you get sacrificed in retaliation for this shit being busted by the police. Yeah, no. Meanwhile, in Mexico, the search for Adolfo Costanzo and Sarah Eldrete was well underway. The police believed that Costanzo had possibly fled to Miami to visit his mother, um, but instead Costanzo had actually opted to flee to Mexico City, where he hid with several of his followers for short periods of time before he would move on to the next one. According to investigators, the last known spotting of Costanzo at this time, um, he was last seen driving a 1989 Mercedes-Benz in Brownsville. That was the last place anybody had reported seeing him. Other cult members at this time were indicted on charges for importing marijuana, conspiracy to import marijuana, conspiracy to present with the intent of distributing, and a possession with the intent of distributing. Um, So basically, they're like, we're going to get you on drug charges until we can try to get you guys on the murder charges. Mm -hmm. On um, April 17th in Mexico City, the police raided one of Costanzo's properties in the city of Atizapan. They discovered piles of homosexual pornography in a hidden ritual chamber with an altar... And this prompted police to go and question people in Mexico City's homosexual community to see if they they had any leads on Costanzo's whereabouts. Because um, I do believe Costanzo was out as a gay man. 
And so they're like, maybe he's canoodling with other gay men in Mexico City and they might have some tips on where the fuck he is. Um, I don't think this led to anything really for them questioning gay men in the area. Um, The Mexican police stated that no evidence was found at the scene to link Costanzo or his men to any murders committed there. They said they saw altars and other ritualistic ritualistic belongings, but did not find any traces of blood. So it didn't look, at least at this location, that he was sacrificing anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Just one spot he decided to not sacrifice people. Um, The police managed to arrest a lady called Maria Teresa Quintana Rodriguez, who was the sister of one of Costanzo's lovers and henchmen. The police also discovered that Aldrete's purse and other belongings were left behind at this location, which prompted them to initially conclude that Costanzo probably murdered her because she knew too much about the inner workings of the cult. U.S. authorities, however, believe that Aldrete purposely left her belongings behind to confuse investigators and make it appear that she was dead. Duh. Duh. She's running for her fucking life right, right now. She's running from the fucking police. Um, the Mexico City Police Department noticed that the Matamoros killings were similar to numerous murders carried out in Mexico City between 1987 and 1989. So, remember, he was killing a whole lot of people just around Mexico City before they moved to bringing people to the Santa Elena Ranch. After consulting local witchcraft practitioners and sorcerers, the police heard that Costanza was probably hiding in, I'm going to butcher this, I think it's Quahatamic. Which is a city, one of the uh, city boroughs around Mexico City. The police then sent 16 officers to search the area, and their search eventually led them to a supermarket where they observed a man buying large amount of groceries with American dollars. They were able to identify this man as Alvaro de Leon Valdez, one of Costanzo's cult members, and also concluded that Valdez was buying the groceries specifically for Costanzo. Great. Police followed Dillian to an apartment where they found that he was living with Adolfo Costanzo and another one of the cult members, Martin Quintana Rodriguez. On May 6, 1989, police surrounded the apartment building where they waited for the moment that they were basically just going to raid it. Mm -hmm. Um, As they were waiting, they saw a black SUV pull up, so they kind of went to go investigate it and see what was going on. Like, was it another cult member? Was Costanzo trying to flee? Um, But when they went to go check out this SUV, this actually alerted Costanzo to their presence. So he sees them through the window of the apartment he's in. And so he grabs a gun and he starts to shoot at the police officers from this apartment window. He also threw coins at them. He threw, like, paper money at them. And he actually, like, burned some of his money in a pot on a stove. Which he was like, like, if they take me out, they're not getting my fucking money. Um, He continued to shoot at the police until he eventually ran out of ammunition. And it was at this time that he turned to Alvaro de Leon Valdez and told de Leon to kill both him and Martin Quintana Rodriguez. At first, Valdez was hesitant to do this, but he conceded after Costanzo hit him in the face and told him that he would suffer in hell if he did not do as Costanzo commanded him. Mm-hmm. So Valdez is like, okay, fuck you then, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. So Costanzo then hugged Martin Quintana Rodriguez. They kind of like hunkered down in a closet, and then Valdez stood in front of them and opened fire on them with a the machine gun, killing both of them. Oh, great. When the police did finally decide they were going to raid this, because they probably heard the fucking gunshots going off again, and they're like, oh, we should probably go in now. No one's shooting at us, but something's going down. Mm-hmm. So they decided to finally go in and raid this apartment. Um, when they got in, Sarah Eldrete, like, 
ran out like screaming that Adolfo Costanzo was dead. Um, Valdez later confessed that Costanzo had lost his mind and was saying that everything was lost and that no one was going to have his money when the police uh-huh. raid forced him to barricade himself inside his apartment. No one was going to have his no money. No one's going to have my money. If I can't have it, fuck you. You can't. I'm going to burn this shit. <laughs> um, Valdez also stated that he had participated in Kilroy's murder and in other killings at Santa Elena, but did specify that Costanzo did most of the killings himself. Sarah Aldrete denied participations in the killings and stated that she was unaware of them until she saw the victims on TV. Which, bitch, don't fucking lie. You are second in command, you dumb hoe. Literally, you fucking bitch. <laughs> you fucking bitch. She stated that she was not an official member of the cult and was mm. barely going through the initiation. But you are the head honcho. You are the HBIC. You're literally, literally, like other members of the cult are referring to you as the godmother. And you're saying that you weren't. Like, I was okay. barely even a part of the cult. I like hadn't even gone through the initiation. I like wasn't anything. I literally they didn't like, even know me. I didn't. I didn't even really know who they were. They didn't know me like that. I didn't know they were killing anybody. I swear, <laughs> like bitch. <laughs> Ugh, <laughs> you fucking lying. Um, in addition to this, she also stated that she was held prisoner during Costanzo's time hiding in Mexico City. She's like, I don't want to be here, but he held me prisoner. Bitch, y'all were fucking. <laughs> so, I'm you a hundred percent well with him willingly, but. She was like, this is my story. I'm sticking to it. He's dead, so. He's dead, right. He's not going to be able to tell any different. He's dead. When asked if she was in love with Adolfo Costanzo, she denied it and said that she was only one of his followers. Which, you lied. Bitch, you are the HBIC. Literally. You're telling me he put you in charge and y'all aren't fucking? Lies. Liar. Lies. At the scene, um, police took Aldrete, Valdez, and other cult members, Araya Ochoa, Juan Carlos Fragoso, and Jorge Montez into custody. So there was a fuck ton of people just at this apartment. There was, like, so many people. There were, like, six people. Um, the police also arrested Maria de Lourdes Guerrero Lopez and Maria del Rocio Cuevas Guerrera, who were also cult members in Mexico City later that day. All the people arrested that day were held for homicide, criminal association, wounding an officer, and damage to property. Um, fearing that Costanzo might have purposely faked his own death, investigators conducted fingerprint analysis on the corpse they found in the apartment, and they concluded that it indeed was Estolfo Costanzo's corpse. Corpse. I said corpse. Corpse. Right. Um, on August 27th, 1989, Araya Choa was actually admitted to a hospital after being diagnosed with AIDS. The police said that he and Aldrete were Costanzo's lovers, and Ochoa died as a result of AIDS on February 11th, 1990. So, like, all the people that were in his inner circle, essentially, he was fucking. Like, all of them. Many women. Doesn't matter what you are. Didn't matter him. He was like, I'm pansexual, I'm bisexual, I'm any sexual. I'm all the sexuals. I'm all the sexuals. I don't care. Anybody who's in my inner... It was probably, honestly, it was probably a power move to get them to basically well not just have sex with him but if he's sleeping with them they're he's probably thinking it's going to make them more loyal to him and they're not going to betray him Mm -hmm. so anybody he has in this quote-unquote inner circle he needs to make sure that like you're not going to cross him Mm -hmm. and so he's like i'm gonna make you fall in love with me and i'm gonna be your everything (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, that's, like, cult leaders. The thing that makes cult leaders so effective is the fact that they're incredibly charismatic. Yeah. 
they can talk people into pretty much like Being Jim in Jones, a fucking cult. super charismatic. Like even like that's how they say like not to you know talk about fucking Hitler and this, but that's what made Adolf Hitler such an effective leader was because he was incredibly charismatic and then when things went really fucking south he had gotten people to be so loyal to him already and honestly to fear him a little bit same thing these people probably feared the fuck out Mm -hmm. of adolfo costanzo so they were never going to turn against him never and the only person who was going to kill adolfo costanzo was himself he essentially Mm -hmm. said you're going to shoot me but i'm telling you shoot me Mm. And that was, like, the same with Adolf Hitler. He was like, I'm not going to let the Allies kill me. I'm going to just fucking off myself. Mm. So, it's crazy. It's so crazy what, like, well-spoken, charismatic people can get other people to believe. It's insane. Insane. I'm about to test that theory. Yeah. (laughs) Autumn's about to start a cult. (laughs) We are starting a cult. It's going to be the Autumn cult. The (laughs) Autumn cult. The cult of Autumn. (laughs) Um, all right, we're going to go now and kind of talk about the sentences that these cult members essentially ended up getting after they were all arrested. Mm-hmm. In August of 1990, um, Valdez was sentenced to 30 years in prison for killing Costanzo and Quintana Rodriguez. So his only jail time was for killing them. <laughs> Which, funny. like, if you ask me, he did them a favor. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally did them. Favor, Maybe that was the like, only thing they could get him on to get him in jail. So they're like, you know what? Like, we're going to, yeah, you did us a favor. But also they might have been mad that he killed, like, their big bad. And they're yeah. like, well, you know, I guess we only have you, so we're going to put you in prison. So he got 30 years for killing them. Um, Fragosa and Montez were convicted of a separate murder charge and sentenced to 35 years in prison. On May 3rd, 1994, Sarah Aldrete was sentenced to 62 years in prison, mm-hmm. and a couple other cult members were sentenced to 67 years for various other charges. The charges of which they were convicted of included multiple homicide, possession of narcotics, involvement in organized crime, police impersonation, illegal body desecration, illegal possession of firearms, and illegal possession of weapons exclusive to the Mexican Armed Forces. Nice. <laughs> Just fucking nice. laundry. List. We're gonna make sure you stay in there. <laughs> but even with those, they only ended up getting sixty-seven years because a lot of these. But I mean, 67, sixty-seven years. years for somebody who is like in their probably like thirties or forties. I don't know. I honestly like Aldova Costanza was twenty-six when he died. I don't know how old. Like I would think maybe like. But even then, you're ninety. Exactly right. Now. Even if you're going in like your late twenties, early thirties, sixty-seven years. Yeah, you're gonna be old as fuck by the time you get out if you even live that long. So, yeah, they got 67 years in prison. Um, The Mexican federal judge explained that the reason Sarah Aldrete received fewer years in prison than the rest of the cult members was because she was not charged with using weapons that were military exclusive, which that sentence carried a five-year maximum sentence. So she got 62, they got 67, because they had that extra five years tacked on for that Mm -hmm. military weapons charge that she did not get. Um, as of 2009, only two additional cult members thought to have been involved in the murder of Mark Kilroy still remain at large. Couldn't find any information on whether they had found these two, but this is only as of 2009. So maybe they found them. Maybe they didn't. But Probably not. Probably not. Will I be going to Texas anytime soon? Nope. No. Definitely not. Will I be going not. to the Mexican border where Texas and Mexico meet? No. No, probably not. 
Uh, multiple members of the cult, Sarah Aldrete included, continue to proclaim their innocence to this day and state that it was impossible for investigators to truly understand what had happened at Santa Elena Ranch because the biggest evidence in the case, Adolfo Costanzo, was dead. So they're pretty much claiming that even though some of them like confessed to being involved, they're like, we didn't, actually, we didn't kill people. We didn't do it. People. You don't really know what went on because, like, Adolfo Costanza was dead. And he was really the only person who truly knew what was going on. But, like, there's so many people in his inner circle that they they arrested that they knew what the fuck was going on. Literally. Y'all were sacrificing people. Wearing mutilating their necklaces. Literally cutting their brains out and putting them in fucking cauldrons to boil. And cook, ripping their fucking hearts out. It's cutting their heads necklace. off. It's a spine necklace for me. They were literally, like, take the bones out of, like, after these bodies decayed, they'd, like, take the bones. And, like, there's a picture that I'm going to post on the Instagram. Follow the Instagram. It's not super graphic, but it literally shows them taking this nanga out of the shed. And it's, like, you can see in the picture, there's, like, bones piled in it. And you can see, like, all, like, the, uh, you can't tell what anything is, but you can see that there's clear, like, a lot of, like, burned Mm. things in there Mm. and one of the things in there when they found it was mark kilroy's brain yeah so poor dude (laughs) literally all he wanted to do was go party for spring break with his friends and he he ends up getting brutally tortured and murdered by like i didn't really include this but i definitely should have but i did read about this when they first brought him like so essentially one of the men that um i think it was Bradley Moore recalled seeing mm. Mark Kilroy with the Mexican man with the scar on his face. Mm. They did not ever, I don't think they ever identified who that was specifically, but he was a member of the cult. And essentially, he basically like kidnapped Mark Kilroy, shoved him in a car, and they drove him out to the Santa Elena ranch. And then um, when they got there, they essentially like brought him straight into that shed. And then they were like, oh, like, don't worry. Like, we're not going to hurt you. Like, we're just going to, like, hold you for... Ra-. Like, they were making him think they just kidnapped him. They were trying to get money from him. Um, and so they had, like, tied him up, basically put him in the shed. They're like, oh, don't worry. Like, we're not going to hurt you. Like, I know we just kidnapped you, but, like, we're not going to hurt you. Um, but then literally, like, only a few hours later, Adolfo Costanzo came into the shed with a machete and literally just hacked him in the throat until he was dead. Like, he... Oh, shit. That's how he killed him. He just hacked him with a fucking machete right yeah after they're like we're not gonna hurt you (laughs) and you're dead and now you're dead so poor mark he literally just wanted to go spring break with his friends he just wanted to get drunk he literally just wanted to party he literally just wanted some dollar beers and watch the miss tan line contest (laughs) poor mark um so i am gonna finish off talking a little bit about mark kilroy's legacy after his murder um, two months after Mark Kilroy was confirmed dead, his parents founded the Mark Kilroy Foundation, which promotes drug awareness, education, and prevention through the Just Say No campaign. Since 1994, the foundation has sponsored and worked alongside Substance Abuse Free Environment, or SAFE, which is a nonprofit community group that promotes awareness for substance abuse and drug prevention. Besides counseling children and teenagers with drug advice, um, Kilroy's parents also advise young people who plan to travel for spring break, suggesting that they stay in groups, keep an eye on each other, and not wander off on their own. They also suggest tourists be aware of travel warnings and abide by foreign laws and regulations when they travel outside the U.S., though they are always clear to reiterate that people can get hurt in the U.S. too. So they're essentially just trying to keep people mm-hmm. safe so what happened to Mark does not happen to them. Right. Um, yeah. That's the story of the murder of Mark Kilroy and 
Adolfo Costanzo's cult. evil human sacrificing drug cult. Great. Great. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> we love that. Well, that was like wild. Like the fact that they thought. So, I mean, like I, I read a lot that like this town, like in specifically like rural towns like this in Mexico, are they're very like not I don't want to say like religion based, but they believe very strongly in the power of like magic and like Santeria and Palomambi. Like they it's full like they do believe fully that these mm. it's like, you know, it basically is their religion. They mm. believe that if they practice it properly, they will be granted their protections that they're asking the gods they worship to grant them. And in this case, you know, a lot of people try to do it for like happiness and wealth and good fortune Which make and me rich that's the only thing i ask for because if i'm rich then i'm happy yeah exactly <laughs> and whoever like, said money can't buy happiness is fucking wrong literally money if if i was a billionaire i this all of my worries all of the stresses that i have in my life revolve gone. around not having enough money for things <laughs> Like, if I didn't have to worry about paying rent, if I didn't have to worry about paying on my fucking student loans, if I didn't have to worry about my car payment, I would be so happy. I'd be the happiest motherfucker in the world. I don't, all this bullshit about like, oh, you might be rich, but if you don't have friends or fr-. no, I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I will. I'll buy new friends. Literally, I will buy new friends. If I could go somewhere and drop 10 grand, like it's pocket change on anything I wanted, I'd be the happiest fucking clam in the ocean that's it that's all i want seriously right like oh and to be able to put blue in training we need to start playing the lottery (laughs) no seriously we really do we can't win if we don't play so we gotta start playing i don't even know how much it is to buy like a lottery ticket i don't even know how to play you i think if you play like like the powerball and stuff you just pick numbers you just pick numbers essentially and then if you get i don't watch the thing to figure out and they probably honestly they probably put them on the internet yeah because nobody sits down and watches the Powerball on fucking TV anymore. I used to. Yeah, when my mom would always watch the six o'clock news, and they always did the Powerball on yeah. the six o'clock news. So, and I would always try to like guess the number when it would come up, and I'd be so excited when I guess it right. Yeah, and obviously you can do like scratch offs and shit, but you're really not going to win huge like life changing money on scratch offs. Mm-hmm. It's like the big ones, like the the Powerballs that you have to play if you want to win like millions and millions of dollars. But the word to the wise, if you ever win the lottery, don't fucking tell anyone. anyone. Do There's a fantastic post on Reddit that is like what to do if you win the lottery. And it breaks it down. They're like, the first thing is like, don't fucking tell anybody. No, because I'm not going to ask you. Get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And like, they're like, you should invest in these and these and these and these. And, and save, put money aside for taxes. Essentially. Well, they, they take right. the taxes straight out of your winnings before you even get it. But you're still going to owe because you're going to be rich. You have to pay taxes every year. Yeah, but that's, I don't think you have to do that on the lottery every year. I mean, if you bought a big ass house, yeah, you're going to have new property taxes. So you're telling me that you win all this money, you're not going to buy a house. Yeah, some people might. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or Absolutely the fuck I would probably I would buy a house, but I don't know if I'd go buck wild crazy with it because no, you but have I would to. Buy a house. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would buy just like I would buy something a house I knew that property. Yeah, I think so. I would buy something that I knew I could still afford like the property taxes on without mm-hmm. the lottery money. I would buy a house and a rental. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's a really good idea. You would have some little passive income. I'd get like, but I mean, if, I would get a house for me to live in, and then a duplex. If you're duplex somebody who house. like gets lucky enough that you win massive, you win like a hundred million dollars, you could hemorrhage money 
for the rest of your life. You're never going to run out. So you could buy a million dollar house and just bam, 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 bam. You're <laughs> never going to. That kind of money is I'll get me fuck a real you money. Regular car. <laughs> that money is big old fuck you money. You're never going to. You put enough in an investment account. That's your income. Yeah. You're probably making. You put a few milli in an account and just let mm. it sit there. Mm. You're getting tens of thousands of dollars. Probably, oh, it's fucking ridiculous. It's literal fuck you money. <laughs> and I that's wish how I like had fuck you money. What the hell? I know that's how like rich people stay so rich is they can just tank all this extra fucking money into these accounts and just get huge returns on interest and all this shit. It's fucking anyway, ridiculous. Anyway, we are way off topic. I know. I don't know how we got on this. Uh-huh. <laughs> we get I don't even know. <laughs> I don't remember. But, yeah, no, that Reddit post was very helpful if, you know, you ever win the lottery. So. Which is not <laughs> Don't else. tell anyone that you won the lottery. Not even your parents. Not even your close friends. No. Not even your significant other. You tell nobody until you have all your fucking ducks in a row. Because, yep. you know, people be coming out of the woodwork when they find out someone's got money. And they ask you for shit. And they ask you for shit. And then, and even, like, people have been, like, murdered. Yeah. Over their lottery winnings. Yeah. Yeah. So, don't fucking tell. Accept your winnings anonymously. You can choose to do that. Mm -hmm. And don't tell a fucking soul. No. (laughs) Until you are fully, even then, I, that's why I'd be like, I'm going to buy, like, a modest house. Yeah. And if you are going to buy big things, like, just lie. I financed it. Yeah. Just fucking lie. That's why I said I'd buy a regular house and then a duplex to rent out. So, that way I have a. Yep. Continuous yep. income. I would buy a real regular car. One that I want. Yep. But a real regular car. And I would get the expensive car and hide it in my garage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. But that's a pipe dream of winning the lottery. I know. So. And I would pay off all of my debt. <laughs> Seriously. First things first. Paying off my debt. Getting out of all that shit. Oh, man. If only. I need to be rich. Team. And sugar, sugar daddies. <laughs> This has gone so far off the rails, going from talking about a cult to winning the lottery to sugar daddies. Jesus Christ. Anyway. Anyways, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. Um, Give us a follow on our Instagram at TSRH Podcast. We're also on Facebook at TSRH Podcast. You can send us emails at TSRHpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Linktree link in our bio that has a link to our merch store, also a link to our coffee account. If you feel like buying us coffee for a little tip to say thank you, you guys are great. Or if you want to send us a tip to say you guys suck, we'll take it. It's money. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it Rate is. Rate us five stars on whatever you're listening to this mm-hmm. on. Um, it really does help us out. Um, but yeah. No negative man. reviews or you're a little bit. <laughs> You little bitch. <laughs> well, yeah, anything else you want to say to the people, Autumn? No, that was it. That was it? <laughs> no better than zero, bitch. <laughs> and with that, we will catch y'all in the next one. Uh, bye. bye.